As we continue the series, uh, you wanted to know, we'll be talking about overcoming temptation. This is one of the the key parts of, of your Christian life that, that can bring a lot of trouble, a lot of a lot of balance, imbalance, if, if not uh, looked at. And I, don't, I just want to let you know that the Word of God is all-powerful, and it is there, it is, is able. The Bible says that it's the engrafted Word that is on the inside of us that is able to empower us and equip us in this thing called life. So as we continue this morning, I want to tell you a quick story. It's about some Eskimos that were hunting wolves. And what they would do is they would take their knives and they, when they would kill an animal, they would, they would dip it in blood. Then they would freeze it. And as they would freeze it, when they finished with it, they would take it out of the, the, the ice box or the freezer, whatever they used. Probably didn't need that living as Eskimos. But uh, they would take it and they would put blood on the top of it. And then they would take this knife and they would go and they would set it down in the snow somewhere. And these wolves would come and they would just they would just go to sleep and these wolves would come and it would begin to lick the blood. You know, they would get enticed. They, they, they would they would, you know, lick the blood and lick the blood and lick the blood till their tongue became so numb because of the ice and their hot breath would begin to melt that ice. And then they would get to the blade and they would lick the blade. And as the more b- blood would, they, they would taste, they would get more and more enraged. And they'd begin to cut their own tongues on that blade. And as they would cut their own tongue, there would be more blood and more blood. Then the next thing you know, the Eskimos would go out that morning and find wolves dead by the knife. The point of that is we could be consumed in our own lust. And our own temptations, that we become deadened, we, we become numb to the things that, are, that, that, are, that can kill you and destroy your very soul. Satan is a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we need to know that, that we're in a warfare every single day of our life. You know, but there's an easy beliefism that if you pray a prayer... You're saved. But my question is, where's the fruit? Do you have a new relationship with sin? Do you have a new relationship with God's word? Do you have a new relationship with holiness? It's more than a prayer. It's entering into a relationship with God. And when that happens, the ways that we used to live, the things that we used to drink down like water, become a distasteful feeling in the pit of our stomach. Jesus said that whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. But the Bible also says that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So the good news is we who are saved, there is no condemnation. Those that live contrary to God's word want nothing to do with God are condemned already. But in the middle of that is temptation. The lost fight temptation Christians fight temptation. Where is the brokenness for sin? I'm talking in our own lives. When's the last time we've wept over our own sin? That's a foreign concept. You know, sin in in this world, 
It's a sinking ship. And, and we as Christians take off our life rafts to go try to indulge in the banqueting table. We don't get nervous. We still see the lights on. The music is still playing. But the ship is sinking. God Almighty has empowered us, has equipped us. But many are asleep spiritually, simply shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic as it goes down. The greatest tactic the devil uses is he takes the sword and with one end of the blade, he, he pokes and prods and cuts and reminds you of your weakness. And then with the other side of the blade, he tries to cut off hope for a cure. But I'm here to tell you, there is a cure. There is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. If our performance is the test that gets you in heaven, sign your name on the paper and turn it in. It is not about performance. Temptation is the temperature of your soul. If you want to know how you're doing spiritually, take your temperature. And if temptation pulls you so easily, you have a virus. You are sick. I am sick if that's the case. But if you can yield and move away from those temptations, you're healthy spiritually. See, the issue is not resisting temptation. The issue is purifying ourselves in the power of God that he is available for us. Surviving temptation is just nearly just merely survival. And God wants us to soar beyond that. Our text this morning will be Romans 8, chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All who are led by the spirit are the sons of God. In other words, stop gratifying the flesh. You know, people, they go to church, they feel like, okay, I did my thing. I fed my spirit. Now I'm owed the flesh. That's what the, that's what gratifying the flesh means. Feeling as if your flesh is old because you did something. It's like living your, your life in the scales. But we are not a debtor to the flesh. Our flesh has acquired a taste for evil, an appetite for evil. It has acquired that living in this body. Our flesh is a cunning lawyer that has its highest doctorate degree from the greatest college on the face of this earth. And it is able to make a case in every circumstance why you deserve to indulge in the flesh. It's a civil war going on on the inside of you between the flesh and the spirit, and you will fight to the death. Temptation. God God uses testing to benefit us spiritually, to grow us, according to James. Satan tempts for our destruction. Satan is not interested in you growing spiritually. He is interested in your destruction. Temptation begins in the form of a thought that's contrary to God's ways. And that thought, if not cast down, develops into a feeling of mental pressure. Then it pushes against the emotion brings an image, and it becomes an imagination, and it becomes a mental stronghold. That's the cycle that goes on every single time you deal with temptation. 
Ephesians 6.16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, in warfare with the Assyrians as well as the Romans, that what they would do is they would take their, their, their darts, their arrows, they would dip it in tar, and they would light it on fire. Then they would shoot it at the enemy. And if you had a shield, you would try to extinguish the darts. You would try to block the darts. Satan sends fiery darts dipped in past hurts, appetites, circumstances. He, he dips it in that and he shoots it at us. This is five mental attacks that we, we will face as Christians. Number one, fear. Number two, lust. Number three, sudden anger. Number four, oppression. Number five, condemnation. The Bible says to take every thought captive. In Isaiah 21.5, it says, Arise, O princes, oil the shield. A dry shield attacks fire, attracts fire. See, a, a Roman warrior or an Assyrian would rub their shield with oil to keep it oiled, that the leather would not dry out. The Holy Spirit is the oil that we rub on our shield of faith. The Bible says in Jude 20, building yourself up in the most holy faith. Your flesh is not your friend. It is an ally of Satan. But our spirit is an ally of God. The flesh feeds on emotion and feeling. The spirit feeds on faith. Romans 8, 6, 8, 6 through 8, it says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, notice it says for you to set, to set the mind on the flesh or to set the mind on the spirit. It's up to us. We are able to do this. We do it all the time. What we dwell on, if it's not gratifying the, 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 the spirit, is gratifying the flesh. When you choose to dwell on those things, you, you ponder them. Now, the nature of temptation in James 1.14, it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It is already on the inside of that person. In 1 John 2.16 and 17, it says, There's the, the lust of the, 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 in the world, there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the areas that we are tempted in. In fact, Jesus was tempted in these same ways. The lust of the flesh is bodily appetites. Okay, such as immorality, immorality, drunkenness, gluttony, drugs, addictions, those type of things, things that your body needs. Jesus was tempted to eat food while he was fasting. So it was something that he could have he could have eaten. He could have, could have had the lust of the eyes. It's the desire to put material things before God. It's greed, covetousness, idolatry, crooked gain, the love of money. And then there's the pride of life, stepping on people. To get where you want to go. Now when we look in Luke chapter 4. Very briefly. It says Jesus was led into the, temp into the wilderness by the spirit. Forty days being tempted. He ate nothing during those days. And when the days had ended he became hungry. And the devil said to him. If you're the son of God. Tell this stone to become bread. So once again. Here's an appeal to the lust of the flesh. 
simply to eat when the Spirit told him to fast. And Jesus responds by the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So he combats it with the word of God. And then verse 5, he was led up and showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and his glory. It's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, worship me, and it shall be yours. So Satan appeals to the lust of the eyes, the kingdoms of this world. Jesus responds once again by the word of God. And he led him to Jerusalem, and he said to the, put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels charge over you and to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So see, even Satan was able to quote scripture. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed until an opportune time. I want you to keep your mind on that part of the verse. We'll get to it later. So Jesus returns to Galilee in the power and the spirit. And thus you see the most miraculous ministry on the face of the earth. Because you see him yielded to the power of the Spirit. Now listen, the Word of God is all-powerful in overcoming temptation. It's all-powerful. That's not the problem. It's our, it's our desire to sleep in the garden. That's the problem. It's, a, it's our desire of not being motivated to use the Word of God. It's the lack of desire to be removed from temptation. Simply surviving temptation is going from temptation to temptation to temptation, winning a battle here, winning a battle there. The Christian experience is not mindless actions and steps to get away from temptation. The Bible says flee immorality. The problem is, do you desire to flee? The word of God is powerful. But if you choose not to use the word of God, if you choose to stay in things, listen, committing adultery, I'm talking about the physical act, is a sin. We know that. Thinking all of those things. You could quote all the scripture you want. If you want to be in that possibility of committing adultery, not removing yourself from that situation, you can walk closer and closer to the fence and quote all the scripture you want. It will not help you. Because our desire is being fueled. The Bible says to flee temptation, flee immorality, flee it, run, get away from it. Now, when you think about that, Jesus had no desire to be near the fence. Everything in him wanted to please God. You know, we lack motivation because we say, oh, I'm saved. So therefore, I'm going to heaven. So then we, we take holiness and say, that's, for, that's old news. We don't want to deal with that anymore. Give us, tell us grace. Tell us mercy. Give us, give us the things that tickle the ear. Listen, there are some things that people battle that I don't battle. And there are some things that, that we might battle that you may not battle. But the issue is you kill it no matter what the sin is. No matter what the problem is. Temptations affect people differently. Some temptations piggyback on certain experiences, exposures, mishaps, temperaments, and circumstance. This is the tar on the dart. 
God's word is all powerful. It can grind sin to fine face powder and blow it away from you. But if you don't desire the things of God, quoting scripture will not help you. Remember, Jesus, all he wanted to do was please God. See, in Christianity, we, we sometimes look at it different. If you look at the way they did it in the Old Testament, as far as the sacrifices, they would sacrifice the animal. They would sprinkle the blood and then they would take the carcass outside and burn it. What we do is we go outside, sneak outside the camp, grab the carcass and drag it back into the corner of the camp and we indulge on it. We don't lay it down, leave it alone. Listen, sin never desires to creep in and stay a small ember. It wants to rise up and burn everything, this entire earth to the ground. Temptation moves in by enticing you, paralyzing your will, and then sucking you down and going for the jugular of your being. You live with with embers, coals in your house. And if you feed it, it will burn the entire thing down. In Romans 8, 12 through 14, let's get back to this verse. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the spirit, you put to death the deeds in the body. All who are led by the spirit are sons of God. Now, Paul is talking to brethren. So he's talking about himself. We are free from the condemning power of sin. But we have to deal with the flesh on the inside of us, our, our nature. At, at salvation, we get the divine nature, the spirit of God. And you can either yield to the flesh or deal, yield to the, the spirit of God. In Romans 6, 19, it says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, Present your members as slaves to righteousness and sanctification. What that saying is with these feet, you can take yourself into the club. And with these feet, you can take yourself into the church house. With these eyes, you can look at things you shouldn't see. And with these eyes, you can see the things of God. With these ears, you can listen to things that uplift the Lord. Or you can listen to demonic stuff that bring you down. It's your choice. Whatever you yield your flesh to, that's where you will indulge in. That's why you can tell what the temperature is in your own soul. Now, it says to put the deeds, put the deeds of your flesh to kill it. The old timers would say mortify. It doesn't mean to beat yourself or, or whip yourself. It means to destroy the very evil passions that the Holy Spirit gave you the power to destroy. To kill a man is to take away his, his attributes, his principle of strength and power, is to remove that. The sin nature stays on the inside of us because it, it helps you from not getting puffed up. It, it, it gets you to rely on the Spirit of God. So it is, it is dead, but it, in, the word that it's used really is inoperative, which means it has no power over you unless you give it power. Unless you begin to live like you used to live or like I used to live. Romans 6, 6, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The power of your of your spiritual life, the comfort 
depends on your yielding to the spirit. You, you yielding to what he said in Colossians three, verse five, it says, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one each other, to each other that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Once again, Paul says, you put them to death. Have you ever noticed when you come to church, you don't desire to dwell on things that are evil. You're in the presence of God. You're hearing the word. You're praying. You're worshiping. These things are easy to cast down. Why is that? Because you're in the presence. You're mindful of the things of the Lord. But you could still do that when you leave and you get in your vehicle and you drive off. Don't 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 let this become an emotional experience. Because the emotion will lead you to temptation and the emotion will lead you to good stuff. Even even godly things. We don't function by emotion. We function by faith. Our problem is we have bipolar appetites. You can have an evil thought one minute and within that same minute have a good thought. You can think about the things of God and it could derail you the minute you see something. Or you see somebody with an attitude and you say, oh, you see that's supposed to be a Christian. You know, that's what, that's what people say. Now, the Bible says, keep watching and praying that you enter, that you not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So watching and praying, what do we watch? We watch the seasons, prosperity, confidence, enjoyments. We will be like the church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and need nothing. Come on, when you're, when you're smooth sailing, watch out for the darts. Watch out for the darts. Remember David in Psalms 30, verse 6. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Remember Peter. He said, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And in James, it says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. But when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. In other words, also watch the seasons of dry shields. When your boat is battered, when you feel like jumping overboard, you're jumping right into temptation's hands and you will be swallowed up and devoured. And then it says, pray. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God shall guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard is a, a military garrison. A sergeant of a garrison knows what's coming. He knows the, the attack. He knows how to protect and that peace of God, when we, we're at war with God, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we're at peace. We have a garrison that is available to help us. Remember in Ephesians, it says, pray at all times. Keep on alert with all perseverance. Remember in Jude, it says, pray in the most holy faith. Oil your shield. Praying in the spirit will help you, will empower you. And in Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and present you blameless. That's Jesus Christ. Now, what is entering into temptation? It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to walk into it and to indulge in it. Here, this is the deal. We do it by reasoning away our rights. God gives us the marching orders. And the Bible says that he gives us a way of escape. But we choose not to go there. We're going to be honest this morning. A lot of times we choose. God sees, we see this, this is wrong. And we say, you know what? I want what I want. If you're honest with yourself, that's our attitude sometimes with sin and temptation. That's why it's so easy to give in. Because your flesh is saying, you're absolutely right. You deserve that, man. Look all what you put up with all week. And then we say, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm saved. God loves me no matter what I do. So therefore, they go into it. That's a wrong mentality. That's a fiery dart coming at you to deaden you, to deaden your conscience. Now, there's three levels in which temptation strikes. I want to give you a verse and show you that this is what Jesus was tempted with. In Philippians 2.6, it says, Who existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. I want you to keep that verse in mind. Now, let's go in, in, first, in, in first Corinthians 10.13. I'll just tell you, there's the common temptation. We just read it earlier. We read about the common temptation. This is the temptation that flies at you and you're able to, to block it. It's no big deal. You know, some people may not be tempted with drinking. So they, the devil shoots that dart when they see a beer commercial during the Super Bowl. No big deal. I don't want to drink. Or, or smoking. You know, cigarettes or something like that. People are like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's not a temptation. To other, tempta- other people, that will destroy them. They will fall to that every, every time. And that has, that's the common temptation. The, the temptation that comes at you, it hits you, it's not dipped in tar, it's just there it is, it's coming, you block it, you move on. But then, there's the seasonal temptation, and this is where we lose you. And first, in Luke chapter 4 verse 13, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. There's the seasonal temptation. Remember in Luke, It says, and those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, have no firm root. They believe for a while and in the time of temptation fall away. That word time is kairos, which means a season. It means a season of temptation. Let me break it down even further. It's that constant battle that beats against you. That that says, why am I fighting this? It's destroying me. But you keep going back. You keep going back. And you feel horrible. I'm not saying you're some hypocrite. You love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. But you're losing this particular battle. That's the seasonal temptation that will ram against your boat and try to sink your boat. It's when you say, I must be possessed. I can't stop this thing. That seasonal temptation. And most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Remember Jesus. In the beginning of his, of, of his ministry, Satan said, if you're the son of God, remember we just read that. But then in the middle of his, uh, his ministry, the disciples wanted to call fire down from heaven. Hey, use your, give us your authority to destroy these people. Remember there were zealots 
Judas being one of them that followed God, followed Jesus to overthrow Rome. Their desire was for him to use his authority to overthrow the political system. And at the end of his ministry, remember he's on the cross. And they say, if you're the son of God, come down off that cross. If he did that, every one of us would be on our way to hell. So these temptations come in cycles. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those things that come, it's like, where did that come from? How am I in this cycle again? That's a seasonal temptation. Then there's the hour of temptation. This is the one that has that dart dipped in tar. That hits ministries. That hits families. That your whole family is lined up with a shield and none of them are oiled. And when that, that dart comes, it burns and destroys all the shields and everyone involved. It, it, it destroys ministries. It's that one temptation that is set with your name on it, that is wrapped, circumstances perfect. It, it, your men, mental capacity has been pushed to this area where Satan has you now and he's setting his scope on you and waiting for you to grab it. And when he does, you're destroyed. It's David looking at Bathsheba. And he ended up costing him a child. It's Judas giving in to greed and it ends in suicide. It's Jesus in the garden. If he would came down off that cross, that hour of temptation that it said, come off the cross. And Jesus would have been like, I'm tired of dealing with you people. Come off and open the ground and swallow them. That would have destroyed everything. But he stayed the course. Don't let that hour of temptation destroy everything around you. I know people that have given in to that one temptation and that has destroyed everything. Their family, their ministry, friendship, it has destroyed everything. And they're sitting in the dust of their destructive mistakes. Look in Luke 22, it says, in being in agony, he was praying fervently. He sweat drops of blood. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise up that you may not enter into temptation. I can see this in my mind. Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. The will of God is put. He's carrying the weight of the world. He comes to his friends who are sleeping and he says, wake up. I need you. I need you to intercede. I need you to pray. Church, Jesus Christ is telling us right now, get up out of that temptation. Get up out of that slumber. I need you. We got to get the gospel all around us. We got to tell the world. Come on. Jesus died on Calvary to give us access to God the Father. Some of you may be sidelined because of a temptation. Let me tell you something. Though you have fallen a thousand times, get up. Get up on that thousand and one time. Dust yourself off. Amen. Praise God. Listen, if you don't quit, God won't quit. If you don't quit, God won't quit. When you fall and those clouds come and and you can't see God, God is trying to give you the sun rays to come through that cloud. But we say, I don't want to look up. I can't look up. Friends, that's the time when you look up. That's the time. That's the grace of God that he's giving you. Come on. He knows that you're sorry. He knows that you're broken. If you're not, that's a problem. 
But if you are, walk in his grace. Walk in his power. When he reaches down with his hand, reach up and grab it. Grab his hand. Let him take you out of that. Now let's look at the problem that fuels temptation is sin. Sin is active, trying to bring forth fruits of death. Sin is always shooting at the highest height. That look or that glance at a young man or a young lady would turn into the physical act of adultery if sin would want that or, or sin would rise up. That's the, that's the goal. It's not to bring you this far. Your flesh will take you as far as it can go. Every thought of anger towards someone, if sin had its way, would drive it to cold-blooded murder. We're not patty-caking with sin. It's like smoking by a gas pump. We don't need a patty-cake with temptation. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. I love this part. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Your spirit is wanting to war. We're siding with the wrong one. Listen, the same spirit that hovered over the waters in the genesis of time that grew those mountains out of that water is on the inside of you. Wanting to rise you up out of that, that pit of despair. The same spirit that God used to breathe on dirt and we became living beings is on the inside of you. The same Jesus that was in the fiery furnace and shut the mouths of lions is for you. Living on the inside of your mortal flesh is the spirit of God. To empower you, to equip you. He's given you the authority of his name, his blood, and his spirit. Come on, church. We are more powerful than what Satan tells us we aren't. Inside of your mortal flesh is power when you tap into the power of God. We are far from powerless in this world. We are far from powerless. The church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful institution on the face of this earth for all time. Come on. They tried to burn Bibles when we did not exist in the 1500s, 1600s. They said they would wipe Israel off the map. Those countries are in the dirt and Israel still lives. Come on. We are all powerful because of Jesus Christ living on the inside of us. We get our marching orders and we say, nah, I think I want to do what I want to do. So it's never God's fault. It's never God's fault. We lay down our weapons. We lay down our shields. We lay down our power. In Hebrews 3, 13 and 15. It says in verse 14, it says, for we share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our confidence firm to the end. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's the problem. We get in temptation. We get in sin and the cement starts to dry. And it becomes hardened. We want our sins explained. They need to be killed. Come on, church. We, we don't need our sins explained. 
That's what the flesh wants. The flesh wants a counseling session so it can find a reason so it can say, well, that's just how it is because look all what I've been through. Cast that down. Jesus Christ has empowered you. Don't say my daddy did this. You have a new daddy. God Almighty. You have the DNA of God up inside of you. (laughs) Up inside of you. Now, how do we kill the deeds of the flesh? In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statues. Think of that. In John 16, 8, it says he convicts the world of sin. He tells you what sin is. He, he, it's up to us to say, okay, God, I see it's confession is saying, God, I say what you say about sin. Not what I think. Well, I just don't think that's a sin. You know, like, no, it's what does God say? It don't matter what you say. It matters what God says. So when we, why do you think when you first come to God, you're so emotional? You love God. You're like, oh, this is the greatest thing. And Satan's like, oh, great. Another one. He sharpens his arrows. He dips it in tar. He said, you got the same problems you had before you got saved. But now you got a different view. Now you got weapons to defend yourself. And then when these things come, you're like, man, what's the deal? And you fall away because you're like, I thought this was supposed to be a good thing. No, you're in battle now. You have taken yourself and you've stuck, stuck your head up and you've enlisted in the army of the living God. And now you're in battle. If someone told you differently, you were lied to. (laughs) The closer you walk to God, the further you want to be away from sin. When you're close to God, you quote the scripture and you watch the fruit of it. Now, how does the spirit kill sin? He causes our heart to abound in grace. And it's fruit. The, ver- the Bible says in Galatians 5, 24 through 25, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us walk by the spirit. Sometimes you just got to say no to the flesh. The flesh says, hey, come see. No, I'm not going to see. The spirit wants me over here. See, you're not your own either way. You think you're making your own decisions, but really that appetite is pulling you. And you're saying, well, I do what I want to do. No, you don't. You're doing what your flesh wants to do. Who wants to kill you and destroy you. But if you leave, the, follow the spirit of God, the spirit of God is pulling you saying, hey, come over here. I have a better life for you. But we keep going back to the vomit and adding different sugar to it, drinking it down. Like, oh, it's not so bad. No, leave that, bury it and walk and go meet God. Crucifying the flesh is laying down those desires that you once had. And as you do that, those things begin to weaken. Those seasonal temptations come and you have no desire for that anymore. That's how people fall. We're led by emotion. We come here, we're led by emotion. We get in the vehicle, we go, we get aggravated on ambassador. We're led by emotion. We say things we shouldn't say. Because we're being led by emotion. Don't be led by emotion. Be led by faith, whether you feel like it or not. That's how you continue to move. And number two, he consumes our lust by weakening our flesh, by a constant burning in his presence. In Isaiah 4, 4, 
It says, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and burning. Why do you think it says in Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire? You bring your fleshly self in God's presence, you will be burned. You go in God's presence full of the spirit. And if you have a little bit flesh, it will burn. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Number three, we participate in the process. Think about it. If if God God tells us that he will do all the work, then why does he tell you to put the death, the deeds of the flesh? Because it's a partnership. He's done it. We just have to listen and obey. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you know that it's God's pleasure to help you overcome sin? That's God gets pleasure out of that. We think God's up there just trying to pound us on the head. No, God's like, I want to help you. I want to help you. He works our understanding, our wills, our conscience and our affections. And he does that by molding us and making us into Jesus Christ. Number four, we make no provision for the flesh. In Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Meaning, whatever heightens or entices the craving, remove it. Dethrone the reasoning. That's what Jesus meant when he said, cut off your, your hand and you pluck your eyes out. He wasn't telling you to go mutilate yourself. If you pluck your eyes out, you still got to deal with your mind. So he's telling you, lay those things down. Those that that struggle with with comfort for food, don't stack your house full of junk food for when emotional breakdown comes. If you got problems looking at things, don't bookmark it on the on the on on the on the computer. When a time of, of weakness comes. Don't involve yourself in things that make you angry. I mean, think about it. That's cutting off the provision. Killing the flesh is, is, is depriving the desires. Remember, these passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. You're in battle. We're in battle. The Bible says in James 1.14, but each person is tempted when he is lured by the own desires that's on the inside of him. Listen, on the first inclination, rise up. Don't go so far and think that's all you're going to go. You will go further. Number five, load your conscience with the guilt of sin in the light of Jesus' suffering. Listen, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Think about this. You ever heard the song that says, you know, something to the effect that does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Do you realize that God could have exposed you? He could have shamed you. He could have let everyone see what's going on. But instead, because of his long suffering, his patience, his goodness, his kindness, he took all of that and he put it on Jesus Christ. And at Calvary, he judged it. Look at Zechariah when the Jewish people look at him at the second coming. Do what he says. Look on them. Look on him whom you pierced. That's what we need to do. Get a revelation of what our sin is, it has done to Jesus Christ. And if we don't participate in what the Spirit is doing, your heart will harden. The things of God will become an afterthought. 
you have to make yourself. Listen, if you got to make yourself come to church, if you have to make yourself read, if you have to do all these things, your temperature is not right. You got to be striving, moving towards holiness. Now, in closing, I want to give you an example from the tabernacle. When I was studying this, it was amazing. It, it blew my mind. God lives in a three room house. We're a body, soul, and spirit. The tabernacle has an outer court, an inner court, and a holy of holies. When you look at this, the altar of sacrifice, that's a picture of what Jesus Christ died on Calvary. But it's also a picture of us dying to self. And then you have the brazen laver, which is a picture of the washing of the word of God. It's also a picture of baptism. It's a cleansing. Natural sunlight is on the outside. You don't have to have faith in natural sunlight. It just, it's just there. This is where the, the, the priest would be. But as you go through the veil to the inner court, you have three pieces of furniture. You have the golden candlestick, the menorah, which was to be kept on fire by, by having the oil in it daily. That the oil is the Holy Spirit. You had the intercessory prayer, which is what this was. It was lifting up prayer to God. And then you had the table of showbread, which was supposed to be eaten every seven days, which represents the perfection of Christ. Jesus says, I am the bread of life that comes down out of heaven. Jesus is also our intercessor. And the power of the Holy Spirit illuminates the light so you can see Jesus. That's salvation. That's another picture of salvation. If that light goes out, it's pitch black in there. There's no natural light. All you would see is those fiery darts coming at you. Now, if you think about this, when you go into the, the, this is the place where our eyes of understanding are open. You come to the Lord, you begin to understand his word. You begin to understand prayer. You begin to understand the Holy Spirit. This is where you're enlightened at. Now, most people are comfortable in the outer court. Temptation tells you, you stay out here. You don't go in, in God's presence, you'll be destroyed. Right? So as you move further in, you're moving into the revelation of who God is. Then the Holy of Holies represents our spirit is where God would come down and he would dwell between the mercy seat and the cherubim. They had the Ten Commandments inside of that of that ark. And when God says, remember, he says, when I see the blood. They would sprinkle blood on the top. And when God would look down, he would see blood covering the law, which made would made which made Israel right for that year. But at the same time, that mercy seat. Is the power and presence of God. So we understand the word, the prayer and worship. During this time is when you don't shrink back. You go beyond the veil. And you get into the holy of holies. Now listen. Jesus fulfilled all of these duties. How? By the cross of Jesus Christ. He did everything that we can go. And it's no coincidence that this is placed the way it is. It's progression. Jesus is our sacrifice. He washes us in his word. He intercedes for us. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit. He feeds us the word of God and he gets us into the presence of God. 
all for you and I. We must participate. And remember quickly in Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to you, Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in who I trust. I was doing some research because the Bible says in James 1.17, says the father of lights within whom there is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. So in the Holy of Holies, there's no shadow because it's, it's perfect light because it's the presence of God. So it's like when Moses talked about the shadow of the Almighty, what is the shadow of God? God has no shadow. But as you begin to read in First Chronicles 15, 1, it says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So after David captures Mount Zion, they bring the ark to, the, to Mount Zion. And during this time, they would set the ark on the mountain. And when you read some of the Psalms, they would worship in front of the ark. They didn't have the tabernacle built yet, so they were able to remove the skin. And so light would shine on the, the ark of the covenant. It makes it interesting when you know that David could not touch the ark, but he can dwell in the shadow of his wings. He could stand in the presence of the ark. How do you get rid of temptation? God's presence. God's power. He equips you. Remember, dwell. Dwelling in God's presence. In verse 3, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. From the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions. Under his wing, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. All what we talked about. If you keep going, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right side. You keep falling. Get up. You keep falling, get up. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you. Isn't that what Satan was talking about? Satan knows scripture. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. Notice this is about Jesus, but it applies to us. God's word is amazing. If you pay attention, eyes to see, ears to hear. Verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And wrapping up as we stand. The outer court is where our flesh is killed. We just saw that. The inner court equips us. It keeps the light on. And then the holy of holies keeps us. That's what I want you to see this morning. The holy of holies keeps you. Now I want to deal with three groups of people. You may be here and you're in the fight of your life. You have no shield. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here that can say, Kelly, I do not know Jesus Christ. Let me see your hands. Come on, I want to pray for you. I want you to come into this kingdom of God that we've spoken about. I want you to experience God's presence. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about a church building. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The second group of people. Maybe you've been sleeping 
taken a light view of God. You flattered God with your lips, but your heart has been far from him because of the condemnation you buy into from Satan. I want to tell you, God has his arms open and waiting for you. Do not let the cement harden around your heart. If you can say, I battle temptation and I'm losing, let me see your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes, I see your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up those, Lord, that their hands are raised, God. Father, they're surrendering their wills, their their lives. Father, they're, they're surrendering in that battle, asking you to help them, God. Father, they're broken and contrite. And Father, I ask that you would meet these needs of these, God. You know what they're dealing with. In Jesus' name. And then the third, those that are in the trenches, in the depths of temptation, addiction, mental strongholds. I'm talking, it has you clamped to the ground. You feel like you are stuck to the ground and you feel like God doesn't love you. You feel like God is mad at you. You feel like you have, that you have no victory whatsoever. You feel worn out. You feel defeated. Those that are battling, let me see your hands. That seasonal tip to, there you go. Be honest with God. God sees you. When you're honest with God, God will move on behalf of you. Father, we come to you. Let me pray for you. God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. God, we pray, Lord, in that season of temptation, that constant tugging, that constant pushing against the will and emotion, that condemnation that rises up and says that God doesn't love you. I'm here to tell you, God loves you with all of his heart in spite of your circumstance, in spite of your suffering. God didn't save you to keep you in the mire of temptation. He wants you to rise up and pray. You might have fallen a thousand times. God wants you to know, get up. Get in his presence. Cast the shadows away, the clouds away, and embrace the sun that wants to shine on your wonderful face. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. God, we thank you for these that have acknowledged they deal with seasonal temptation, God. Father, we ask that the storm would cease in their spirits, in their souls, that their minds would be alert. God, equip them, empower them, God. Flood them with your presence when they pray to you, Lord, when they worship you, God. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we give you honor and praise in your house. In Jesus' name I pray and ask, And everyone said amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God.